Hi, and welcome back to season two of the Girls Who Gather podcast, a podcast sharing women's stories from a diverse range of backgrounds and stages of life, highlighting the way they are building community, empowering other women, and walking out their calling. We are so glad you've decided to tune in. Our hope for launching this podcast is to extend the voice of Gather beyond the physical spaces where we meet in our cities, campuses, and apartments. We want to make our content even more accessible to all of you. With an incredible diversity of feminine voices, we want to create a catalog of stories, testimonies, and inspirational content that you and your friends can always return to. We will also be announcing gathered news, updates, and other exciting events coming up on this platform. Stay tuned for more from us as we journey through this next season together. And as you listen, we encourage you to lean in and learn from some truly incredible women. So we just had an incredible interview with Yael Shai. She was amazing. Um, I'm so excited for this, this episode today. There was so much Again, really practical wisdom, but also just an incredible heart behind a story of coming to mindfulness and meditation practice and just finding um, an ability to just sort of be grounded amidst a crazy world. She has a little bit of a, of a crazy story uh, as a young person, and I think it was really cool to just sort of track her journey and how she's she's done so many things. We were just talking about how <laughs> she literally mm-hmm. is like this boss woman who is running a company and has kids and has written a book and has you know traveled and is working at NYU and like went to law school too so uh just an amazing woman but I loved how she spoke to those of us in our 20s because I think Mm -hmm. (laughs) as we all know for those of us in our 20s or out of our 20s this is a crazy time so she just spoke straight to the heart of being a 20 year old in this world. Uh, and I really appreciated that. What did you like about this episode? Absolutely. I loved our conversation around embodiment and community. Yael spoke to yeah. the importance of having meaningful community and how meditation is incomplete without other people and, and mindfulness. And so I loved that. She took us through a brief meditation exercise, which I would encourage you to do as you listen to the podcast. Um, and I just, would encourage you to read her work and learn more about Yael. Yael Shai is the CEO of Mindfulness Consulting LLC, an adjunct professor at NYU New York University. Previously, Yael was senior director at NYU Global Spiritual Life and of many Institute for Multi-Faith Leadership. She was also the founder and director of Mindful NYU, the largest campus-wide mindfulness initiative in the United States. Yael authored an award-winning book, What Now? Meditation for Your 20s and Beyond. She teaches and consults on mindfulness for universities, corporations, and private clients around the world, and she focuses on periods of change, early adulthood, and wellness in both religious and spiritual and secular contexts. She has been featured on Good Morning America, CBS News, and Fox 5 News, as well as Time Magazine, Real Simple, and the Harvard Business Review. Wow. Yael is over a decade of teaching and consulting experience and nearly 20 years of meditation practice experience in Zen, Jewish, and secular contexts. Yael is also a contributor to the 10% Happier Mindfulness app. I'll let Yael tell us more about her life, her journey, and her goals, and we have so much to cover. Yael, thank you so much for joining us. We're so excited to have you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. <laughs> well, <Welcome>. yes, <laughs> thank you so much. So, um, yeah, we always like to start from the beginning. So, we would love to know where you're from and if your upbringing at all um, played a part in the work that you do today. 
Yeah, what a good question. Um, so I'm originally from Los Angeles, and uh, I moved to the East Coast when I was 10 years old. I moved oh. to New Jersey, and then I moved to Long Island. Um, so I did a little moving around. And um, my like ancestrally, my, my father's side of the family is from Israel, and my mother's side is longtime LA, and then before that, like Russia and Romania. And did it impact what I'm doing, I'm sure it did. So my, um, my mom's a rabbi. She was, uh, oh. she's a conservative rabbi. And so I think I just had sort of building blocks of spirituality in me from a very young age. Mm -hmm. And although nobody was Buddhist, nobody meditated, I think <laughs> just the kind of like asking a lot of questions and mm -hmm. looking at my life kind of started from there. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. The contemplative traditions. Exactly. Um, how did your education play a part in your career today? Um, so my education, so I went to NYU okay. undergrad mm. and yeah, and it's a, I mean, those of you that know, I know a lot of the gather um, folks uh, went to NYU. It is a hard school yes. <laughs> on the, to go to sometimes. And like you're thrust in the middle of a city, um, you know, you're like, 18, 19 years old. And, uh, it, it's hard. And to, to kind of feel like you can keep your head above water sometimes mm -hmm. is hard in a big city like that. And I've definitely struggled a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, and it was also just happened to be in the time of my life. I was struggling a lot. Mm -hmm. My parents were getting a divorce. Mm -hmm. My, um, I was breaking up in a relationship. It was mm. September 11th. So there was that kind of trauma <laughs> happening around my neighborhood. Yeah. And so it was, a, it was a very hard time. I loved school. Like I loved university. I loved going different kinds of the education that I got. And I got a lot of education. I went to law school after oh, college. Wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Winding road. Um, but um, but yeah, that period of time, that particularly the college period of time, was very challenging and hard for me. And I think that definitely impacted me seeking resources and help and support. Mm -hmm. That wow. makes a lot of sense. It's a very transitory period. Um, yes, sure. exactly. And so I guess related. So you went to law school, which is fascinating. Yeah. Um, and, and not uh, highly meditative, I would say. Um, speaking from, from my friends the that I opposite. have uh, here. But um, did you always know that this was the career path you wanted to be in? Or I didn't even know it was a career path. <laughs> like I didn't know they could, you know, in all the career quizzes that you take, yeah. there was never an option for like spiritual teacher, meditation <laughs> teacher. And so I was like, uh, I, I think what I was interested in when I was in college was I was interested in social justice. I was interested in sort of spiritual questions. Mm -hmm. And I debated after college, should I go to rabbinical school or should I go to law school? <laughs> Very different. But I was really kind of thinking, well, I could do more social justice from law school. I could do more spiritual stuff from rabbinical school. And I just ended up deciding, okay, I'm going to go to um, law school and I'm going to go to a law school that is, that will let me really 
dive into both like social justice questions, but I was also interested in something called restorative justice, which is kind of like a community-based approach to criminal justice work and to wrongdoing in general. And so I went to Northeastern, which is an amazing law school where you really design what you want to study. Very progressive and without, you know, they don't have grades, but they're like really rigorous and they teach you the, the lot in order to kind of create um, a different kind of vision for the future. And I loved it. I didn't think I would love it. I thought it was like super like means to an end kind of thing, but I actually really loved my classes. I love my professors and I after I graduated college, I mean, after I graduated law school, I went to work um, doing restorative justice work at New York University. Mm-hmm. So that's what I was doing for several, for about like five years before I moved full time into the Spiritual Life Center. Wow. That's amazing. That's so cool. Both Morgan and I are in sort of the justice space in different ways. Oh, so, no way. yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. we really appreciate that work. And restorative justice is, is fascinating to me. So that's. Yeah. That's a whole other conversation we will we will definitely I would have. love to hear more. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. So you are a woman of many, many talents and many professions. As we just learned, there's even more to you. Um, <laughs> you're the CEO of, of Mindfulness Consulting, and you also are an adjunct professor at NYU, mm-hmm. which is my alma mater. And you, you were the founder of Mindful NYU, and you're an author, and you're a mother. Um, mm-hmm. So tell us a little bit about what your days and weeks tend to look like right now and what you enjoy most about the work that you do. Mm. Um, so in, as of September is when I left NYU in a full-time capacity mm-hmm. um, and started the consulting company. And it was a big leap. It was very scary because I had been at NYU for 13 wow. years, either whether at this other job or at the Spiritual Life Center. And it's like basically all I knew as like an adult in a full-time job, it was, <laughs> it was everything. So it was, a, this has been a big transition for me. Um, and also it's been so awesome. So basically what my week looks like is I will be meeting with a couple clients a day, private clients who are trying to kind of deepen and further their own meditation mm-hmm. practice. And then I usually have about two or three consulting projects that are going over the course of the week. And so I have to work a little bit on them every day and go to meetings for them every day. And then um, I'm writing usually a good amount. And sometimes I'm recording meditations and I'm trying to kind of keep up my social media because I have to. (laughs) (laughs) And um and then, you know, like uh, from morning, early morning until like the end of the day, my kids come home from school. I have a four-year-old and a three-year-old. Oh and so those times are just like total madness where <laughs> I'm just chasing them around, trying to get them to eat or to sleep, or, like a, a little bit of play. Okay. And weekends. And so then I usually go back to work after they go to bed and do a few hours of work at nighttime. So that's sort of the structure. (laughs) It's a lot of work, but it's also like very joyful and like rejuvenating. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's wonderful. (laughs) I love to hear it. I love to hear that description of your days. That's really great. Um, (laughs) Given your expertise, how would you define mindfulness? I would love to hear how you would describe it. Yeah. Um, I think, I think the way that I think about it is um, a present moment awareness, mm. a state of being aware in moment to moment of what is happening in your body, in your environment, in your mind, mm. 
And uh, yeah, I think that's what it, that's what, that's how I see it. That's perfect. And I guess related, why do you think it's become just so important? Um, Especially given our (laughs) socioeconomic cultural context. (laughs) Yes. Um, I think people are really suffering Mm -hmm. and it's not like it's new. I mean, Buddhism, you know, where a lot of the mindfulness practices that I use are taken from is 2000 plus years old and the suffering has been there a long time and it's not new, but I think that, um, people are suffering in kind of new ways, obviously pandemic, lots of suffering. And then, um, even pre pandemic, like some of the figures around the, um, anxiety, depression, loneliness, especially for people in your, demographic or in the generation Z and millennials, where these numbers are kind of off the charts. I think the number, um, it's one in five people Mm -hmm. describe themselves as very lonely Mm -hmm. across all adults. And that moves to one in three Mm -hmm. when it comes to people in generation Z. And that's a lot, like people who not just describe themselves as lonely, as very lonely. And so mm-hmm. that's just one piece. I'm obsessed with loneliness right now. I'm writing another book about loneliness, <laughs> but I mean, there's anxiety, there's loneliness, there's depression. All of these numbers are up. And what we've seen from the research is that mindfulness-based practices can really, really help. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so you know, that I think it's just as, as simple as that. Like we have the medicine, we have the tools, mm-hmm. we, need, we need to help people. Mm-hmm. Would you say that part of the relationship of, between loneliness and Gen Z might be like a repercussion of hyper individualism because we're not as like community centered? And I feel like mindfulness um, and meditation are kind of like this not always meant to do by yourself. Um, would do you think totally. that's part of it or? That's such an interesting point um, because most people go immediately to social media. Mm-hmm which is related, like, you know, you're in your separate sphere and you're communicating to people via social media. But it's interesting because the research like doesn't show that, that it's necessarily social media because older people are on social media too. And so what, what do you think it is about hyper individualism of generation C? Like, what do you think that is well i it's so interesting to me because i feel like we're we've been taught to like create these you know self-made people and david brooks second mountain is just an excellent you know exploration of all of this um Mm -hmm. but i've been just thinking about that a lot of like because we are not taught to kind of bump up against each other in community and like wear those rub rough edges off each other in that way it's actually like making us more and more anxious and depressed um, yes, so. it really, it really sounds right to me. It's um, just a hypothesis. <laughs> yeah, no, I think it's, it's really smart. And I think that the, um, the practice to your point about mindfulness is not supposed to be done alone. 100%. So in both the traditions I come from, from the Buddhist tradition and from the Jewish tradition, a central part of the practice, like, so in Buddhism, there's three parts to the practice. Mm-hmm. There's 
the teachings themselves, that's called loosely referred to as the Dharma, Mm -hmm. the teachings. Mm -hmm. Then there's um, the teacher, like you're supposed to have a teacher in your life to help you with these practices. That's called the Buddha. And the third, which is just as important as the other two, is the Sangha, the community. Mm -hmm. And you are not supposed Mm -hmm. to practice without the third. Otherwise, you're like, they call it like a stool that's supposed to have three legs and it has (laughs) one leg is missing. Like you're unbalanced. Wow. And similar stuff in Judaism, you're not allowed to say certain prayers without um, what they call a minion or a community. Wow. Like we are supposed to be living in those kinds yes. of um, ways and we're not. Mm-hmm. And it's, in- it's so interesting to hear that maybe it's falling extra hard on the younger generation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's super good. That's very true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm curious to know too, just in your your studies on meditation and kind of how, what the relationship is between, I mean, I I think there's a very obvious relationship between mindfulness and meditation, but I think for some of our listeners who maybe have no experience with meditation, um, can you speak a little bit to that relationship and just sort of how that's played a part in your, in your life and in the work that you do with mindfulness in general? Sure. So, um, so as I mentioned, mindfulness is kind of the the embodied awareness, like mm-hmm. I'm picking up a pen. Mm-hmm. And as I pick up the pen, I can feel, well, maybe we'll do it together just for a second. <laughs> you don't have to do anything wacky just as you're <laughs> listening to this. What are your hands touching? Just notice, like, are, is there any contact points with anything else? Are they touching themselves? Are they touching each other? Are they touching your legs? Are they touching a table? Mm-hmm. Just notice right now. And rather than like thinking about your hands, like really feel the sensations, the textures, the temperature, and drop into just that feeling of whatever your hand is touching. So that feeling of being like in your body and actually open to the sensations, that's how mindfulness works. You're kind of really dropping into the present moment, not by just like this a disembodied mm. present moment, but really through your body itself. Mm. And meditation is a, a more focused, intentional mm. um, time that we do that. Mm. So you can do it through the day, like as I'm talking to you all, I'm paying attention to my body in the chair and breathing, and that's mindfulness. Mm. And then if I wanted to really focus and be and sit with just the sensation of my breath rising and falling, or even just sticking with the hands, like really dropping in, focusing, paying attention to the hand, my hands on my lap or you know whatever they're doing, then that just kind of shifts that day-to-day, moment-to-moment mindfulness into a more focused mm. meditation. There are millions of kinds of meditations. Um, so, you know, if you are the type of person that's like, I've tried meditation, but I didn't, it wasn't for me, or my mind just r- raced around. First of all, minds race around, even like of the most experienced meditators. So that's sort of myth number one, that your mind has to be still the entire time of a meditation. But it's just an opportunity to kind of sink a little bit deeper into life as it's happening so that we're not kind of sleepwalking through life. I hope that answers the question. I love that. I think, um, you know, I think a lot of times we're taught to be very dualistic and like you're a mind or a body and not the Mm -hmm. integration of the two, um, which is so dangerous (laughs) and just like very scary. Uh, Right. And there's so much like, honestly, even for me, and I do this work all day, every day, I sometimes, 
get to the end of the day and I'm like, oh yeah, I have a body. <laughs> like I didn't feed it. I didn't go to the bathroom very often. I didn't move it. Like you just don't, you know, you forget mm. and you're so in this world of the mind yeah. and to, to drop into the body, to spend some time in the body, in the moment. So um, it's such an act of care and love. And it's also such an act of like coming alive yeah. because I think when we're all in our minds all day, it just can become deadening mm. yeah. to the world. That's so good. That's so good. Thank you. That was like super, just super practical for everyone listening to just kind of be present with themselves. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit here. You authored a book, uh, What Now? Meditation for Your 20s and Beyond. So I want to talk a little bit about, so Gather focuses uh, mainly on women who are, I think for the most part, our demographic are, you know, in their 20s and their early 30s. And so uh, can you, sp- and all, a lot of us are trying to figure out, you know, what now? <laughs> like, what happens now? What, what are we supposed to do with our life? And we have passions and we have drive. And um, I was just wondering if you can just elaborate, one, on your decision to sort of focus on this this particular demographic. And what would you say to sort of encourage, uh, you can speak to, to women if you want, um, but just in general, to our age group, uh, in terms of like sort of laying down insecurity and moving forward in life? Because I know that's part of your, part of your book. Mm, yeah, yeah. So I I wrote the book because uh, I found meditation when I was in my 20s. And as I mentioned, it was such a hard time in my life. Um, We we, like I feel like pop culture and the media makes you think that you're supposed to like that time period is so supposed to be so amazing (laughs) and like fun loving for everyone. And I was just so miserable almost all the time not all the time but almost all the time and um like so much of it I struggled with I was very lonely I was really wondering whether I would ever find anyone to be like a partner for me um Mm. I was I wasn't sure what I wanted to do for my work and I just wasn't sure what direction to take And I also started to just be like really hardcore grappling with these questions of what is, what is this? What is the point? (laughs) Like, why why are we here? Why am I here? What is the point of being here? And like, what is, um, yeah, almost existentially, like why, what, what, what am I supposed to be doing with myself? And it wasn't a small thing. It was like a lot of suffering and questioning and anxiety producing and, um, and sometimes often feeling like a lot of hopelessness or despair. And so meditation really, really started to open up to shine a light on where did some of these original stories about myself, like um, stories that I would never find any someone that I wasn't pretty enough or smart enough or cool enough to like Mm. ever find happiness or love. And like, started to just kind of open up those questions of where did these things come from? Why was I believing in them? What other kinds of practices and kinds of insights could I gain to help me to um, to climb out of those stories and to heal from mm-hmm. those early stories and to build a different kind of a future, different kind of relationships? And that's what it really helped me in addition to therapy, but um, and just getting older, but really a big part of what was 
really transformative for my journey was these were these practices. And so I wrote the book with that in mind and tackling, I tackle in the book, a lot of those types of questions. And I don't, I would never give advice to anyone because I don't know, I don't know if advice (laughs) is really helpful, but I would definitely say that I think this, this time period is, although at least for me, it was hard and challenging. I think it's also magical. It contains within it so much possibility. It's why I've stayed, you know, I, I stayed working in a university so long because I think people um, in their 20s are like smart, so smart, like they're adults, they're full adults. And but they're also open. And I think something that happens later in life is you kind of narrow and you close down and you build up more and more and more walls. And I love that that the time period that people in their 20s and 30s are you're still kind of like open to the world and able to take things in. And so I would just kind of say, like, go hard on that. Like, Mm -hmm. keep being curious, keep opening to different possibilities. And and also that like the world that your life may take forms that you didn't even know to like dream about or think about. (laughs) And that was definitely the case for me. Yes, I love that. Just be, trying to be open and willing and, um, you know, just flexible mm-hmm. to whatever comes our way. And I think related to that, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your NYU course that's centered around leadership. A lot of the women that are involved with Gather or, um, you know, either through our leadership or through just participating in our events are in different positions of leadership. And we'd love to just hear about the interaction between mindfulness and meditation and leadership and how those two intersect. Yeah. I took, yes. I actually took this course. I took the course. Really? Yeah. I didn't have you as a professor, but I took the course. It was so good. Oh, oh awesome. <laughs> yeah. I, I teach with, oh yeah. I wonder if it was when I was out on maternity leave or something. It might've been. <laughs> so I teach this course with, um, with my good friend, Khalid Latif about, um, it's called what really matters leadership with no regrets. Mm-hmm. And it looks at um, the regrets that people have when they're dying about um, what they wish they had done in their life. And it kind of reverses the situation and says, like, okay, none of us want to have these regrets at the end of our life. So how can we build it into our life and into our leadership now? And so it's structured around these um, five regrets, which are, I wish that I had spent Um, like less time at work. I wish that I had been my authentic self and not what other people wanted from me. I wish I had let myself be happy. I wish that I hadn't um, not lost touch with friends, people that I care about. And um, I'm going to forget one of them. I wish that I ate more Ben and Jerry's. <laughs> I'm, <just kidding. laughs> I'm sure that was that it. would probably be mine. <laughs> I, I bet you that was that was probably about right. Um, so yeah, so then each part of the course we meditate, we bring in mindfulness tools of like. So for instance, in the class about wish I was like more my authentic self, we dive deep into like. What is what does it mean to be authentic? What's holding us back from bringing forth that authentic self? 
and um, and what are my values? And then in meditation, we start to kind of come close to what comes up for us, what's true for us, what do we want to like live our life into and be the kind of person yeah. we want to be. And that's sort of how we how it works. And then it of course it kind of bleeds and trickles into leadership because if I'm not authentically myself in the rest of my life, then I'm not going to authentically be myself in the places I lead. And, um, and then we, we cause all kinds of problems when we are kind of living a life that is not true to who we are. It's not like in integrity and alignment with what we believe. Wow. That's so good. Mm -hmm. So good. So many things we just like don't think about I think is at this age that we we have to <laughs> for the future yeah I, I, so I, I think for me it's like I I tend to go sometimes the, the, it's like you reverse engineer it like look at what's yeah. making you miserable and then be like okay huh. where how can I get some help here <laughs> what's the place what's the fault line where I'm I'm yeah. holding on to something that I can't change or I'm yeah. like just living in a state of anxiety and not, um, you know, trusting or believing or even touching into what my desire is. Mm -hmm. And so those are the, the ways that like, because it's impossible to kind of think of everything and be the perfect person. Right. We don't want to do yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. And I love that you use the word desire. I was reading a book yesterday where she talks about the, the I think the, the word originally is a French word that means uh, translated literally, it means to gaze upon the stars. And mm -hmm. so it's like kind of, I think the word is desider. Um, mm. And so it's kind of, it kind of captures this like unrealistic thing, like of like you're longing and wanting for something um, that, that it might be a little impractical, but it's kind of that impracticality, that magic that you talked about mm -hmm. earlier um, mm -hmm. that, that brings just so much beautiful like joy and fruition into our lives and part of just like the magic of like being a human being, you know? So I love that. I'm writing that down. <laughs> so, uh, this is a shameless, shameless plug. I would encourage everyone to read um, My Inner Sky is the name of the book. Uh, it's written oh, by yeah. a woman named Mari Andrew. She's a New Yorker. Um, she has a beautiful Instagram <laughs> feed. If, if she's yes. an illustrator turned author, but anyways. Mm. She's amazing. Oh, we're big fans. Yes. <laughs> she, she likes stir, you know this, yeah, like just living in New York, just the we romanticize it even when we live here, but like yes. <laughs> there's the way that she writes and illustrates just tap into like such sweet things about the city. Cause sometimes, sometimes you're just jaded by it too. Yes. <laughs> like it just, I feel like I'll go back to her Instagram and I'm like reminded of just the, the simple like sweetness of moments that can really only happen in a place. So like packed with. People. Yes. And as the resident <laughs> southerner, I'm can attest yeah. to that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. And yeah. I love also that she she's also kind of capturing like the, the pain and beauty of this yes. age that you're talking about, yes. which I think is yeah. really beautiful. Mm -hmm. So good. So I want to wrap us up here in, in a bit. I have a, like just two more questions for you. One, I want to touch on something you said earlier about community and the way that we sort of need each other to walk out, you know, the most like healthy way of mm -hmm. life um, and gather our organization really centers around um, this belief that community is so important and that relationships are um, in depth to relationships are things that really help us move forward as people and challenge us as individuals. And um, we really want to cultivate that among women. So uh, I just wanted to, to go back and speak to that a little bit, if you could on 
just the the importance of uh, especially right now in a time when we just we just came out of a year we're still kind of in a year where isolation is just really really prevalent um, and how you how you would encourage uh, us to just continue to cultivate community and what you feel like that can do for health mm. and uh, for wellness mm, such a good question um, yeah I think some people are more um, like our natural community builders, like extroverts and people that like just pick people up wherever they go and form yeah. these connections. And I'm in awe of those people because I am not one. <laughs> I, am, I was like very much an introvert raised in a house that was like very insular and, and my parents had zero friends. And so I kind of grew up having like one best friend and that's it. And it's I honestly can say it's not a good way to live. I don't think it's healthy. And I've had to push myself more to really seek community and to, um, to hold my own anxiety about particularly when I was younger, like wild social anxiety and fear of like reaching out to people and joining things. And I had to like really just care for that part of me and say like, okay, I know you're scared. I'm going to hold your hand, but we're going to yeah. do this together. And I'm going to like look a little awkward. I'm going to put myself out there a little bit. I'm going to just kind of show up just a little more than maybe I feel comfortable and um, and take it slow, <laughs> like do what you can do. But the rewards are so important. People to walk through like these crazy times we're in and also just your own personal joys and pains and um, places to share and to grow and to learn like we need that scientifically biologically we need that and so um so i'm particularly talking to those of you that are socially anxious or kind of like a little hesitant worried of rejection that um that you know you're stronger than you think Mm -hmm. and even if you you reach out and you get rejected, you keep reaching out. Like those people suck and you will find your people, but you got to <laughs> keep trying. And so I really, yeah. really, um, I really believe that to be the case. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's an encouraging word. I think, yeah, a lot of times it's so much more about what's going on with that other person than, totally. than you. So um, the, just yeah. trying to keep, stay earnest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and like, what is it like just like bless them and let them go like just let yeah. them and I love you know, great word. they're on their own journey but you you know you deserve to find people and to find your good. tribe absolutely yeah that's so good um so just last question for you so we're in a series right now called be well so talking about what it means to to be well to pursue wellness and to and health in many different areas um so what would you say wellness is to you um and what is just your parting piece of of wisdom on just the the importance of of pursuing healing and health and wellness Mm. i think wellness for me is like a um a large open space and Mm. in that space we can have a lot of visitors like Um, depression or like joy or like playfulness or, you know, jealousy, 
just whatever is, everything is welcome in that space. And we're the kind of bodies, the, the, the system that can hold all of it and can say like everything is temporary and everything will move through if I don't fight it or battle it or try and squash it. Um, yeah. And so I think all tools that help us to kind of lay down our, our weapons and open up that space for everything to have its moment and just remember like, okay, this is here right now. And anxiety is here right now, but it's not going to be here forever. And like deep love is here right now. It might fade, but that's okay. And that's to me what real wellness is about. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, no matter where you're, 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 you are right now in your wellness journey, if you're feeling horrible, if you're feeling really good and strong, or you're somewhere in between, or depends on the day, um, (laughs) just, um, just keep going. And, and, you know, as I said, like, you just never know what's possible. I was like, convinced that I would never find someone and never find a partner, never have a family, like, I was getting older, I was worried. And I do, and I did, and it all happened. And yeah. just like whatever your dreams are, I, it, it's it's possible. It really is possible. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love that. <laughs> it's so encouraging. It's such an encouraging <laughs> I'm so encouraged. Yeah, it makes me think about yeah. the the roomy, um, the poem on like being human is a guest house. Um, totally. I don't know from mm. memory, but yes, it is a guest house. That's exactly the vision. My vision, anyway. That's great. So good. Thank you so much. This was all so practical. We could talk for hours. You have so much, <laughs> you have so much more. We have so many more questions Absolutely. for you, but um, we will wrap it there. And mm-hmm. just thank you so much for your time, for just your heart and your wisdom and for, for really loving on our generation and our, our age group right now. <laughs> <laughs> and just your, your service to my alma mater. I really appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely. <laughs> thank you, you for having me and good luck yeah, with the thank- continued community building. It's really, really awesome. To all our listeners, thank you once again for tuning in. We hope you feel loved and encouraged by today's content. Be sure to stay tuned for more exciting updates and our gathered news on our Instagram at Girls Who Gather, as well as our website, www.thegirlswhogather.com. Also, remember to share and subscribe to this podcast so you never miss an episode. Be on the lookout for season updates, announcements, merch, media, meetups, and more. There is always something for you to be involved in and a place to belong. You are so loved. Until next time, bye Gather Girls!